Well, good morning, church. As the children are dismissed to their classes, uh, please go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3. That's where we'll be this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Well, the Super Bowl was just last Sunday, and in order to be a coach of a team uh, that, uh, that makes it to the Super Bowl, You've got to have experience with, with the X's and the O's of the game. Uh, you, you've got to know how to, to lead and challenge men uh, to, uh, to perform. You have to know uh, the sound technique uh, to teach to your players. Uh, you have to know how to read the opposing team's uh, offense and defense and many other things that I'm not even aware of uh, in order to be a qualified uh, coach in the NFL. So a coach that meets these criteria uh, is, is what it takes uh, for a team to eventually make it to their goal of, of winning a Super Bowl. If you were to have surgery, you would want to ensure that a surgeon uh, had gone to school, had studied under somebody who knew what they were doing, and, uh, and had experience uh, in what they were doing. So that, that way... Uh, when they actually performed the surgery, uh, that, 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 they, that nothing would go wrong. Uh, if, if one of us in this room performed that surgery, uh, especially me, then something would probably go poorly wrong, right? Uh, there, there would be life and death on the line. If you were to have an EKG done on your heart, uh, you would want a technician that was trained, that, that was studied, that knew what they were doing, that could operate the machine, that could uh, could read the results to give you the information that you need. You would want them to be qualified uh, for, uh, for that role. If you were to get on a plane to fly to another state in the U.S., uh, you certainly would want whoever is flying that plane to have gone uh, through uh, training and uh, lots of school and have lots of experience, and uh, so that way they know what they're doing, so that way you, you don't crash on your way to your destination. So what does a qualified football coach, surgeon, uh, EKG technician, and pilot have to do with this morning? Well, in order for the church, God's bride, to function properly and to be as effective as possible in making disciples of all nations, uh, we need qualified elders and deacons to serve in the body. Elders and deacons aid in the church fulfilling its mission of making disciples of all nations. And that is the main point of our sermon this morning, that the church needs biblically qualified elders and deacons uh, to help fulfill its mission. The church needs biblically qualified elders and deacons to help fulfill its mission. So we are going to read this, this passage broken up uh, in sections instead of all of it this morning. Um, and so we're going to uh, read the first seven verses in just a moment. Uh, to, uh, uh, to help us understand the biblical qualifications for elders. So uh, let's read verses 1 through 7 of 1 Timothy chapter 3 uh, to see the qualifications for elder. This is the word of the Lord. The, say, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, 
not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Church, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your precious word. It is a gift to us that we might know who you are, that we might know who Jesus is and what he did for us on the cross and his resurrection from the grave, and how you are redeeming a people for yourself back to you, but also to one another in the, in the local church. And Lord, we thank you for the gift of elders and deacons, the two offices that you give to your bride to help the bride, your bride to function properly so that we might fulfill your mission more faithfully. And so, Lord, would you help us to uh, come to a better understanding of these, uh, these offices, the qualifications uh, for elder and deacon, and Lord, may it, it be a reminder of us uh, of the gift that they are to help your bride fulfill the mission that you've called us to, to make disciples of all nations for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, verse 1 states that this is referring to the office of overseer. And there are three different terms that refer to this office in the New Testament uh, that are interchangeable. One being elder, uh, which is presbyteros, pastor, which is poimen or shepherd, and then overseer, uh, episkopos is the Greek word for that. And so these qualifications for elder, pastor, overseer are referring to one office. And so we're, uh, when we look at the office of overseer here, uh, it, is, it is referencing the office of pastor, overseer, uh, elder. And these are all interchangeable. And based on 1 Timothy 3 and, and other passages within the New Testament, uh, we can conclude that the elders of the church uh, shall be composed of a plurality of males uh, that meet the qualifications that are listed in Scripture. So let's take a look at these qualifications uh, for elder. And uh, we're covering, as you know, we're covering all of chapter 3, that Lord willing, this morning. And so we will be going through these qualifications pretty quickly. Uh, this morning we'll just be skimming the surface. We could, we could dive deeper into these, but we will, uh, for the sake of time, uh, skim through these. So uh, let's look at the, these 15 qualifications for the office of elder. Uh, first of all, an elder must aspire to the office. Uh, you see there it says in verse 1, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer. So before we get into all of the, the other uh, character, character traits, the, the character qualifications and the, and the qualification of being able to teach, uh, it's important to ensure that a man is actually aspiring uh, to the office of overseer, that, that he desires and is eager to serve the church in this way. Peter 5.2, he says this, Shepherd the flock of God among, that is among you, exercising oversight not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. So those who serve in the office of elder are not just to serve because they feel obligated to or for shameful gain, but because it's a joy and a privilege to serve the Lord and to serve the bride of Christ. So an elder must aspire to the office. Secondly, an elder must be above reproach. An elder must have a proven record of, of godly character. 
His record should, should be of that, uh, that anybody, uh, nobody could bring a legitimate disqualifying charge against an elder. And really, this, this qualification here is an overarching element, a uh, qualification for, uh, for all the rest of the qualifications, uh, to be above reproach, to be above blame. Uh, and so th- a man should have a proven track record of godly character, a devotion to the Lord and to the church. Thirdly, an elder must be faithful to his wife if he's married. An elder must be faithful to his wife if he is married. The phrase in the ESV translation states, the husband of one wife. Uh, The text in the Greek literally says, one woman man or one wife husband. Uh, One woman man or one wife husband. And so the idea here is that he must be faithful to his wife. He must be devoted or committed uh, to his wife. Uh, so again, the qualification is more about a, one's faithfulness to his wife, uh, more so than the fact that they are married. So this would open up uh, the opportunity, if, if there's a single male within the body of Christ uh, that, that is qualified, meets these qualifications, they could serve in the office of elder within the church. So an elder must be faithful to his wife if he's married. Fourth, an elder must be sober-minded. He must be level-headed and not overreact emotionally or with anger uh, to situations. Uh, an elder also must be one who is not controlled by, uh, by any sort of substance like alcohol or, or anything else. So he should, he should be level-headed and sober-minded. An elder also must be self-controlled, number five. Uh, an elder must be able to control his words and his actions and, and the way that he carries himself uh, in his life. An elder also must be respectable, number six. Told you we were going to fly through these. An elder must be respectable. An elder ought to be someone who uh, others look up to and respect because they live uh, and carry themselves in an honorable uh, way that that brings glory to the Lord. Seven, an elder must be hospitable. An elder ought to be warm and inviting to others. They ought to be generous with their, their time and their resources that uh, that sacrifices to show that they care and they love for others. This may include having people into your home, uh, welcoming the new person and, and, and inviting them into uh, the, uh, the life of the body and taking an interest in them, uh, being generous with what God has given you to, to show that you love and you uh, care and are concerned for others. So an elder must be hospitable. Number eight, an elder must be able to teach. An elder must be able to teach God's word in a manner that is beneficial to his listeners, that helps them in their faith, that helps them to grow in Christ's likeness. This doesn't mean that an elder has to be able to preach a 45-minute sermon on a Sunday. Uh, it might mean that they are able to, to teach a children's class or to a men's Bible study, a women's Bible study, um, or, or uh, preach a devotional at uh, Arbor Terrace on a Sunday afternoon. Uh, but they need to be able to rightly handle, handle God's word so that it would be beneficial to the listeners that, that are before them. Uh, so they need to know how to rightly study God's Word and also explain it and apply it uh, to those that are listening uh, to him. So an elder must be able to teach. Nine, an elder must not be a drunkard. An elder must not drink alcohol in a manner that, uh, in which he is getting drunk or is controlled or addicted uh, to, uh, to alcohol. This doesn't mean that an elder is not allowed to drink alcohol, but it should be done in moderation. 
Uh, shouldn't be done in a manner that, uh, that he gets drunk and is controlled by it and thus becomes uh, not sober-minded, uh, as we looked at earlier. Ten, an elder must not be violent but gentle. An elder ought to conduct himself in a manner that is loving and kind and gracious and patient uh, to, to others. So he must not be violent but, but gentle. Eleven, an elder must not be quarrelsome, which goes hand in hand with being gentle. An elder must not be quarrelsome. So an elder must not be divisive and quick to start arguments. Uh, rather, he must be peaceable and seek to maintain unity with others, to live in the unity of the Spirit. Because if an elder is, is quarrelsome, uh, one of the effects of that might be leading to disunity within the body. Uh, we, we need to be uh, peaceable and, and seek to maintain unity with others. Twelve, an elder must not be a lover of money. In First Timothy 6, Paul is calling out false teachers who, uh, who are, are, are loving money. They're in it for their love of money. And he says in verse 6 of, of, of chapter 6 of First Timothy, he says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And this is his, him uh, combating this, these false teachers who are loving money, and, and that, that is the reason for which they are in it. So an elder ought to be characterized as, as finding contentment in the Lord uh, with what he has provided for him and prize godliness more so than any of the worldly possessions that we may have. So we should prize godliness more so than the worldly possessions that are around us. 13, an elder must manage his own household well. Uh, this is in, see this in verses 4 and 5. Um, let's, let's read that. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to, to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? So this is a lesser to greater argument here. If a man cannot care for his own household, then how's he going to care for the household of God? If your teenager gets their, their driver's license, before you take them out onto the main road or onto the interstate, you're going to ensure that they can actually make it in the parking lot of the church or around your neighborhood, right? Uh, you're not going to just release them to, uh, to Braselton Highway or to I-85. Uh, you're going to make sure that they can actually drive and, and operate the vehicle, know where the brake is, know where the gas is, and, and uh, be able to turn uh, properly. You're going you're gonna to make sure that they can do that in a parking lot or around the neighborhood first before they can get out uh, onto the main road. Um, and so the same, same thing is true here. If an, if an elder uh, can't manage his wife and or kids, then how is he going to manage the household of God? 14. An elder must not be a recent convert. The term used for recent convert here is, uh, is the Greek word for, for a plant being newly planted. Uh, so a new plant is, is vulnerable, uh, and uh, until it matures over time and, and, and strengthens uh, with a deeper root system and uh, gets taller and bigger, um, and, and in the same way, a recent convert is vulnerable. Uh, a recent convert is more likely to be tempted to prideful, uh, to be prideful, and to be tempted by the devil. And so, therefore, it's, it's wise to let uh, one grow in the faith and have a period of testing 
As we'll see later on in, in the qualifications for deacons, there's a season of testing, and, and I think that this is, uh, this is that for elders, that elders are to grow and mature over time uh, before they are able to serve in the office of elder. Uh, because when one is put in a leadership position, there is a, a, a big uh, temptation, or can be a big temptation, to be prideful and, uh, and, to, uh, and to think it's all about you and uh, to fall into the, a snare uh, of the devil, a trap of the devil. Fifteen, and, and finally for uh, the qualifications for elders, an elder must be well thought of by outsiders. So if a non-believer is aware of an elder's uh, sin patterns and that they continue to persist in them and they're not repentant of them, uh, then this can bring reproach on, uh, on the name of Christ and also on the name of the church. Uh, and so uh, 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 an elder must be well thought of by outsiders. Um, now, so now that we've gone through these qualifications uh, for elders, I want to note uh, that all the qualifications listed here are character uh, qualifications other than being able to teach God's Word. So when looking per- for prospective elders, we aren't looking for the most charismatic man. We're not looking for the most biblically literate man. We're not looking for the most popular man in the church or the best businessman even. While one can certainly be any or all of those things and still serve as an elder of the church, those are not the first things we're to look for. That's, that's not what we, we look to and say, oh, they would be a good elder because they are a successful businessman or uh, they, are, they know a lot about the Bible. Um, those, are, those are fine things. Those aren't bad things. But those aren't the first qualifications that we are to look for. First and foremost, we are to look at the character of the man and that is what we are to consider. Does he, does he meet the qualifications that are listed out here and in other scripture references? And if he does meet these qualifications, and he is able to teach God's word, then he may serve as an elder of the church. So again, we're not looking for uh, worldly standards uh, to put somebody in the office of elder, but we are looking for biblical qualifications here that are primarily about one, one's character, and also being able to teach as well. Now, disclaimer, uh, no man uh, lives up perfectly to any of these qualifications, right? We are all sinful. We are all imperfect. Uh, I can say that about myself. And so the, the only one that perfectly lives these out is, is, has lived these out is the Lord Jesus. Um, and so none of us will live up to these standards perfectly. However, our lives ought to be characterized by them. Uh, and so just want to be clear about that. Um, we, we all are going to sin and fall short. Um, and so the, the, the standard is not perfection, but it's being characterized by these qualifications. And uh, when one does fall short, uh, that there would be humble repentance of that sin when they do miss the mark. Okay, so uh, now let's look at these qualifications for the office of deacon. And this is in verses 8 through 13. Uh, let's read those. Um, I'm going to read those for us. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons, if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanders, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. 
For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So before we dive into these qualifications, uh, let's consider uh, who can serve in the office of deacon. Uh, this, this topic is debated among individual Christians, among uh, churches, and there are good and faithful arguments on, on both sides of this debate. Uh, some churches would believe that, um, that males only uh, can serve in the office of deacon, uh, while others uh, would, uh, would believe that would hold to that both men and women uh, can serve in the office of deacon. And, uh, and that is what we would hold to here at New Branch, is that uh, men or women could serve in the office of deacon. Uh, we don't currently have any female deacons, but, uh, but we would be open to that if, if uh, there was a recommendation brought uh, from the congregation to, uh, for a female to serve in that way. Um, and so, again, we would hold that both uh, males and females could serve in the office of deacon. So let's briefly consider the biblical rationale for female deacons. Verse 11 is, is the primary verse to consider uh, on this topic. So let's, uh, let's look at verse 11 again. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanders, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. So the term in, uh, that's, that's translated as wives in the ESV translation, which is what I'm reading from and, and perhaps what you have there, uh, it can also be translated as women. Uh, and, and you likely have a footnote there on that verse. Uh, and if you read that, it'll say that it can also be translated as women. Or if yours says women, it might say it can be translated as wives. So these, these, these are interchangeable here, and they're used in different parts of the New Testament to refer to one or the other. And so, um, so some scholars would interpret this and say that this is a, these are some additional qualifications uh, for, a female, or for, a, uh, for a male deacon's uh, wife, uh, that these would be qualifications that a, a, de- a male deacon's wife would need to meet in order for that male to serve in the office of deacon. Um, I, I would hold that, uh, that this would be better understood as women instead of wives, and, and here are a few reasons of why uh, I would hold to that. So first, uh, there's not any requirements listed for the elder's wife uh, in verses 1 through 7. Uh, so there's, there seems to be, if, if, this, if it were the case that it was uh, for a requirement or qualifications for a deacon's wife, uh, then, then there's extra uh, qualifications or higher qualifications or standard uh, for deacon than elder, which the elders are the ones who are leading in, in, t- uh, in the teaching and the shepherding of the flock. And so uh, I, don't, um, I don't know why there would be extra qualifications for a, a deacon's wife and not an elder's wife. Uh, secondly, in verse, uh, verses 8 and 11, you know, you'll see that there's the term likewise there, which uh, seems to indicate a transition into a new thought. And so verse 8 transitions from the qualifications for elders into the qualifications for deacons. And, uh, and then verse 11 transitions from the qualifications for just deacons in general to some specific uh, qualifications for female deacons. And then third, there, the term there, T-H-E-I-R, uh, is not there. Uh, so there isn't a qualifying word uh, before wives or women such as there, uh, T-H-E-I-R. Uh, it doesn't say their wives, and then go on to list the qualifications. Uh, the more faithful interpretation would would either be wives likewise must be, so wives likewise must be, or women likewise must be, and, and I believe that women likewise must be is is the better interpretation there, 
uh, for that uh, because there is not uh, the, the uh, qualifying word of there uh, in, the, in the Greek. Uh, fourth and finally, um, in Romans 16.1, uh, it's pretty uh, clear uh, that, uh, that Phoebe served as a, uh, as a deacon uh, in the office or in, in the church of Sincrea. Uh, so uh, Romans 16.1, uh, Phoebe uh, is, is titled at, or listed as a deacon uh, of the church in Sincrea. So based on these reasons, uh, I believe that uh, it is biblically acceptable to have both male and female deacons uh, serve within the church. Um, and just, just a few concluding remarks there, because I know that this is a hot, uh, can be a hot-button issue, uh, and some of you may, in, that are listening may have a different uh, view, uh, and that's totally okay. Um, I, I do want to be clear, though, that New Branch is firmly complementarian as a church. Uh, we believe in male leadership in both the church and also in the home. Um, and so elders uh, are the leaders of the church, and deacons are servants within the church. So deacons are not leading uh, the flock. Uh, the elders are leading the church, which, uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, we believe in a plurality of male-only uh, elders uh, to lead and shepherd the flock of God. Um, deacons are not leading and shepherding the flock. Uh, deacons are not required to, uh, to, to be able to teach. Uh, they may be able to teach, but they're not required to be able to teach uh, to serve in their office. Uh, the office of deacon is not a teaching and leadership role within the church, but it is a serving role within the body. Uh, and so at New Branch, we, we, again, we have a plurality of male-only elders who lead and shepherd the flock of God. Second, there are some churches who have deacons who function as elders. Um, maybe you grew up in one like that. Uh, maybe you know of others uh, in the area uh, that have deacons who essentially function as a body of elders who are leading and shepherding the flock, providing direction. Uh, if that is the case, then I would say uh, that, that a, a, they shouldn't uh, nominate and, and vote in a female deacon because the, those deacons are operating then as, as elders. And uh, they should wait until their po- church polity aligns with what Scripture says uh, before they would move forward with uh, nominating female deacons. So I do want to be clear about that. And, and then, again, lastly, uh, faithful brothers and sisters disagree uh, on this topic. Um, it is not a primary issue, and uh, so it's not, it's not worth dividing over. Um, you know, sure, we, we can have some, um, some hearty debates and, uh, and, and share our convictions with one another and, and debate this, this issue, uh, but it, shouldn't, uh, it should be done so in a gentle and loving way and not in a dis- disunifying way. Uh, way. And so it should be done in a gracious manner as we have these discussions. Uh, so it's not a primary issue. Um, it's not something we should divide over. Uh, but sure, it's something we can gently and lovingly uh, and graciously have a debate over and, and talk through that. Uh, but again, uh, we, we believe uh, that we, we could have male and female deacons. That, that would be biblically acceptable. Um, but again, our elders are the ones who are leading the flock uh, and, and leading in the teaching of the flock as well. Now let's consider the qualifications for deacons. Now that we understand who, uh, who, who I would hold to uh, to be able to serve in this office, uh, let's look at these qualifications. Um, in verses 8 through 9, we see five different qualifications. In verse 11, we see four different qualifications for female deacons. And then in verse 12, we'll see two qualifications for male deacons. And so, uh, uh, so let's dive into the five qualifications for deacons uh, first. First, deacons are to be dignified. Uh, so this describes somebody who is worthy of respect uh, because of the way in which they live their life. 
they live in an honorable way. Uh, they live in a God-honoring uh, manner. And so they are, they are to be dignified. Second, deacons are to not be double-tongued. Uh, so deacons ought to be upright and honest in their speech. They ought not to be deceptive and say one thing to, to one person and, and say another thing to another person. They ought to be honest and upright in their speech. Third, deacons are to not be addicted to much wine. Uh, so this goes hand in hand with elders not being a drunkard. Uh, they, they should, if, if they do drink alcohol, then it should be done within moderation uh, to where they're not getting drunk and being controlled uh, by that substance. Fourth, <clears throat> deacons are to not be greedy for dishonest gain. Uh, so deacons should be motivated to serve uh, out of a love for Christ and out of a love uh, for the church. Uh, they should be an example to others of how to steward God's resources in a manner that brings glory and honor to God, <clears throat> that they shouldn't live uh, for uh, for dishonest gain. They should be honest in their dealings, and, uh, and they should be an example to the flock in that. And then fifthly, uh, deacons should hold to the mystery of faith with a clear conscience. Hold to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Uh, this, this mystery of the faith is a reference to the gospel. Uh, and we even see that in, uh, in verses, verse 16. Uh, we, uh, we see the, uh, this, this confession here. Uh, which I'll, I'll read that. We'll get to it. I'll read it again later, but just kind of get to the mystery of the faith. <clears throat> Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He, Jesus, was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, <clears throat> seen by angels, <clears throat> proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. And so this, this mystery of the faith is a reference to the gospel. The fact that God, the one true God, created everything. He spoke everything into existence. He made you and I in his own image. He made us to worship him. He made us to know him. And when Adam and Eve rebelled against him, they were kicked out of the garden, out of the presence of God. There was separation from God and man because of our sin, because God is holy and just, and we were sinful and unjust. He must punish sin because of his holy standard. He is a just and righteous God. And yet, he is gracious in that he preserved himself a people in Israel with, with, from whom which he would promise a Messiah would one day come, who would come to deliver his people, who would come to lay down his life, to be the suffering servant, to live a sinless life, perfectly fulfill the law, and lay down his life on the cross. And in doing so, taking on the judgment for our sin, with his own blood, and giving us his own righteousness by faith in him. And he didn't remain dead, but he was risen from the grave on the third day, defeating death once and for all. And one day, the Lord Jesus, he will return. He will come back to judge the living and the dead. He will come back to make all things new. And so this is the, the, the gospel message that deacons must hold to without, with a clear conscience. And I would be remiss to, uh, if I didn't, uh, if you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord by faith, you haven't believed that message of the gospel, then friend, I would urge you to turn from your sin, recognize that you can't earn your way back to God. You can't save yourself, and you are dead in your sins and trespasses. 
And the only thing, the only one who can rescue you from sin and death is the Lord Jesus. Is placing faith in his perfect life and his substitutionary death on the cross and his glorious resurrection. And that alone can you be saved. Because our righteous God, his, his standard is perfection. And you and I, we are not perfect. And so we need a perfect Savior. And that Savior is Jesus. And so, friend, I urge you to turn from him, to place all of your faith in him alone, because he alone can rescue you. So deacons are to believe that, that message as well, to hold it with a clear conscience. And so what, what does it mean to hold it with a clear conscience? Well, this means that one must actually believe the truth of the gospel. One can't merely state, yes, I believe that, but it have no ramifications on, uh, on their, their life. And um, perhaps they don't even actually believe it. They're just, they're just being deceitful in saying that they believe it. They, they must say, I believe this gospel, and they must actually hold to it in their heart with their, with their deepest convictions that they hold to the biblical gospel and that their life has been transformed by the gospel. So a belief in the gospel leads to one being transformed uh, to, to live in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. So deacons are to hold the, uh, the, the mystery of the faith, the gospel, with a clear conscience. They, they must uns, uh, unswervingly hold to the biblical gospel. So those are the five qualifications for uh, deacons found in verses 8 through 9. And then uh, in verse eight, a period of testing. Let's read verse 10. And let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons, if they prove themselves blameless. So deacons ought to be examined before they are put before the church to serve in this office. There's not a specific layout of exactly what this testing period is supposed to look like, but one should clearly have time to observe a prospective deacon candidate to ensure that they actually live out the qualifications that are listed here. There's wisdom in somebody being a member of a church for a certain period of time before they serve in any sort of office. Here at New Branch, we require that members serve or be here for a year before they can serve in the office of elder or deacon. And so that's a minimum for us. But it isn't merely about the length of time that someone is at a local church, but also the depth and the quality of, of knowing someone, uh, of being able to, to be involved in their, in their life uh, so much so that you can see that their life is marked, characterized by the qualifications that are listed out here, that they, they have a love for the Lord, uh, that they have a love for the church, and that they are seeking to grow in holiness. And so it's not just about the, the length of time that one has been <clears throat> at, a, at a local church before they can serve but it's also the depth uh, in which we know them and, and uh, observe their life. And, um, and so just um, it's, it's both length and also depth. In verse 11, uh, we see uh, four different uh, qualifications for female deacons. So time of testing, and then now we move on to some qualifications for the female deacons, uh, which, which I mentioned as we read verse 11 earlier. So there's four qualifications here. Uh, female deacons are to be dignified. Uh, so Again, living an honorable life. Uh, second, female deacons are to not be slanders. 
so this means that uh, she should speak truthfully about others. Uh, she should not talk behind others' back, uh, backs and, and be uh, deceitful in, in the way that, uh, that she speaks about others. Third, um, sober-minded. Uh, so she should not be influenced or controlled by other substances such as alcohol, which we've seen multiple times in, in these lists here, uh, and just to be level-headed. Fourth, be faithful in all things. Uh, so deacons should be uh, reliable and trustworthy, uh, that uh, what they are required to, are assigned to do, that they follow through on it, uh, that they are faithful in that. Uh, we must be able to trust that they would do honest uh, work as well. So a, a deacon's life ought to be characterized by uh, being reliable and, and just being faithful uh, as, as well. Uh, so there's lots that could go into, uh, into that, uh, doing all things, uh, doing all th- being faithful in all things. So those are the four qualifications for female deacons in verse 11. And then in verse 12, uh, there's two more qualifications for male deacons. So let's read that. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife. Managing their children and their own households well. Um, so we've we've already hit on these and uh, with the office of elder. But um, male deacons are to be faithful to his wife if he's married. Uh, and then secondly, male deacons are to manage his household well. And, uh, and so again, we've we've talked about those things: being faithful to one spouse if they're um, if they're married, and then also being able to manage their household well. Uh, because again, if they can't manage their own household well, then how are they going to serve? Uh, in in God's household well. Um, So verse 13, Paul explains the reward of a deacon. So we see all the qualifications, and now we see the reward for a deacon uh, for faithfully serving in the body of Christ. Let's read verse 13. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Uh, So uh, deacons uh, are rewarded in in a twofold manner. Uh, One, Good standing, and two, great confidence in the faith. So look, look first at good standing. Um, so deacons will be esteemed in the life of the church. Uh, deacons will be esteemed within the life of the church. They will have a good standing within the church. Jesus says that the last shall be first, uh, that the, la- the, the last includes those who humbly uh, humble themselves to serve, and even the lowliest of tasks which oftentimes our deacons are maybe serving in some of the lowliest tasks according to the worldly standards um, in in order that they might meet a need within the church. So deacons are to humble themselves to serve, and and as Jesus says, the last shall be first. The one who serves shall be first. And so there's this good standing that comes uh, with being uh, a deacon within the church. And deacons ought to be an example of humble service to the rest of the flock, and the way that deacons humble themselves and, and serve the body in a variety of different ways, it ought to be a, an example to, to the rest of the flock that this is what it looks like to humbly and sacrificially serve out of a love for Jesus and out of a love for his bride. So deacons have, who faithfully serve have a good standing. And then the second reward is great confidence in the faith. Great confidence in the faith. Uh, so serving as a deacon... Uh, will grow one's faith in the Lord Jesus. It will, it will grow their, their boldness to live for Christ both in, within the, the church but also uh, outside in the world. It'll grow one's boldness as we, as we serve as Jesus served, as we become more like Christ, like, like Christ, uh, then, then it is a fuel for us to live for the glory of God. Humbly serving the church will 
deepen one's affections for Christ and empower them to live faithfully for the Lord. To be clear, deacons uh, ought to not look at this verse or prospective deacons and say, man, I, I, want, I want that reward. I want, I, want to, I want to have that good standing. Uh, I want to have confidence in the faith, which are, which are not bad things, obviously, but those should not be the motivation for a deacon to serve within the body of Christ. Because if, if that is their motivation, then, then I would say that they're not qualified because then they would be greedy uh, for dishonest gain. Uh, they're wanting this position uh, for this, this gain that, that is not motivated by a pure heart. So one's motivation for, for serving in the office of deacon ought to simply be out of a, a love for Christ and out of a love for his church and wanting to see his church served and built up. So <clears throat> elders and deacons are the two different offices of the church. And I know we've covered them very quickly. Uh, we could go a lot deeper into each of those. But these offices, they are a gift from God to his bride. Elders and deacons are given to the church as a gift for the church. So why has he given elders and deacons? Well, he's given elders and deacons to help the church to fulfill its mission, to make disciples of all nations, to see the gospel spread here and also to the ends of the earth. And so uh, elders and deacons uh, help the church to preserve and pass on the gospel. Biblically qualified elders and deacons help the church to preserve and pass on the gospel. Let's read verses 14 through 16. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that, if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. So again, biblically qualified elders and deacons are, are given as a gift to the church to help preserve and to also pass on the gospel. Paul states that he is writing to Timothy so that he would know how the church ought to operate. He wanted to come to him. He wanted to see him. He, he was longing to see his son Timothy, but he, he wasn't there yet. And so he was writing these things to him so that he would know how is the church in Ephesus, which is where Timothy was at at the time, how is the church in Ephesus supposed to operate uh, so that it continued to function properly to fulfill its mission? So Paul calls the church here um, uh, to a, a pillar and buttress of the truth. And so this goes hand in hand with this idea of preserving the truth, preserving the gospel, and also passing on the gospel, passing on the truth to the next generation. So uh, pillar and buttress of truth is what the church, uh, Paul calls the church here. And these are these illustrations of pillar and buttress, which buttress is a, a, a word, uh, just references foundation. So these foundations and these columns or these pillars uh, is, is what, what the idea here. Uh, these would have been well understood in the city of Ephesus, uh, which was a major Greco-Roman city during the time, which was filled with massive buildings, which had uh, many pillars, and of course, were laid upon foundations or buttresses. And, um, and so, uh, the idea here 
is that the church is the support structure that holds up the gospel, that preserves uh, the gospel to make sure it's not uh, altered, it doesn't sway, doesn't change, and also that it goes forth. And so the church's role, our role, is to preserve the gospel and, and, and pass it on to others. Our job is to ensure that the gospel is kept intact, that it's not altered, that it's not changed uh, from the gospel that we see in the scriptures. We need to ensure that it doesn't uh, get altered. And then also, too, our job is to spread that gospel, spread the gospel to uh, our neighbors, to our coworkers, to those in our community, all the way to the ends of the earth. That is our job, to preserve and pass on the gospel. And qualified elders and deacons aid the church in this mission. Qualified elders and deacons aid the church in its mission. So the role of elders and deacons complement one another so that we would function properly, so that we would be able to, in fact, preserve and pass on the gospel. Elders provide leadership to the church. Elders devote themselves to the ministry of the word and prayer. And elders are to provide shepherding care for the flock. And so these, this plurality of male elders, that is, that is the, the role of, of the elders, uh, to provide leadership, shepherding care, ministry of the word, and prayer. And then deacons are to, to meet the physical and tangible needs within the body. This may include mercy ministry, uh, audiovisual, uh, uh, building in grounds, uh, cleaning, su- supplies, the ordinances, as, as we saw uh, earlier. The, our deacons oversee, uh, ensuring that the, the ordinances uh, are uh, prepared uh, and served and cleaned up afterwards um, so that we don't have to, to worry about that. They, they serve the body in that way. And um, in fact, they, they get other members of the body to help with those things too. So they're ensuring that we have the Lord's Supper uh, in order for us to be able to partake in that uh, whenever we have that scheduled. And so, uh, so the, the deacons meet all kinds of physical, tangible needs within the body. And deacons uh, are also to notice if there's any sort of uh, potential causes for division within the body, that they might come to a resolution uh, of whether it be parking or seating, which we've had that in, in the recent past, uh, where we've had to have um, some help with parking and seating and those sorts of things. And, um, and so these are potential areas of division. And so deacons are able to, uh, to work on resolutions to, uh, to ensure that the, the unity of the body is maintained. So deacons are to serve in all of these ways so that the elders are able to focus on the ministry of the word and prayer and shepherding the flock of God. And so these two roles, these two offices go hand in hand to complement one another so that the church can function properly. You Think about a, a team, whatever a team it may be, or if you're into dancing and dance recital, whatever it is, everybody has a role on a team. Or in your company, uh, everybody has a different role, and everybody has to, to focus on their role so that the overall team or business uh, might succeed, right? If everybody's focusing on one thing or nobody's paying attention to a certain thing, well, then that, that's not going to succeed. And so each person, each member of the team has, has a role to play to complement one another so that the business or the team is successful. And the same is true within the local church is that we have elders and deacons 
these two different offices that complement one another, that when, when functioning properly, when we have biblically qualified elders and deacons, we see the church flourish. So thank you for bearing with me all the way through 1 Timothy chapter 3 uh, with lots of qualifications for elders and deacons. Uh, but it is important uh, to, to know what these qualifications are uh, so that the, the church would function properly and fulfill its mission. So as we conclude, just three quick applications. One, members, you play a role in identifying prospective elders and deacons. God is the one who saves and matures his people to meet these qualifications. Uh, he is the one that gives them the gifts to serve in the body of Christ. But he's also given the body of Christ to identify uh, biblically qualified elders and deacons to serve in these offices. In the context of uh, proto-deacons, so before they were actual deacons, but uh, these were, these were proto-deacons in Acts chapter 6, verse 3, uh, the apostles uh, told the church to select seven men uh, from, from themselves to resolve the issue of the Hellenist widows not being served food. And <clears throat> according to Jesus in Matthew 16, 19, he has given the, the church the keys of the kingdom to exercise uh, authority here on earth, to, to represent God uh, here on earth. And so the church, which is comprised of regenerate, church, uh, regenerate believers, has authorities, uh, authority to render judgments here on earth. And so elders lead in this process, but members have the final say on who will serve in the office of elder and deacon. We, you recommend, uh, we evaluate, we bring back uh, nominations to you guys, and, and, the, and the members vote to, to give final approval for elders and deacons. And as you know, if, if you are a member here, or perhaps a regular attender, uh, we are currently in a season of, of receiving elder and re, uh, deacon recommendations. So for the next two weeks, uh, up until March 3rd, uh, we are receiving elder and deacon recommendations. And so church uh, fellow covenant members, I, I would exhort you, uh, if you haven't already been, to prayerfully consider, are there, are there uh, qualified elders and deacons uh, that are members of the body that might be able to serve in this way? And if so, go talk to that person and see if they might be willing to be recommended to the elders to serve in that, in, in, in elder, as an elder or deacon. And so prayerfully consider that uh, leading up uh, to March 3rd. Second, aspire to live out the character uh, traits listed in these verses. I hope that you haven't just zoned out uh, because you said, I'm not an elder, I'm not a deacon, I don't want to be either of those, and so I don't have to do any of these things. Hopefully you haven't zoned out and, and thought that uh, this whole time. If you did, then you can go back and, and relook at the, uh, the character traits because these are all character tra traits that we should all aspire to. These are not just things that elders and deacons should aspire to, but this is something that all fellow members of the body should seek to live out. And so, fellow brothers and sisters, what are the areas, what are the character qualifications that we've seen that you desire to grow in, that you need to grow in, that you're falling short in, that you need help to grow in? Consider that and, and seek to, uh, to grow in those specific ways. Perhaps the Lord may raise you up to be an elder or deacon within the church one day, even if it's not here at New Branch. Maybe it's years down the road and you've moved away somewhere else. Uh, maybe the Lord is preparing you now, uh, or is in the process of preparing you now, to serve as an elder or deacon one day. And, uh, and, and even if he's not, even if he's not, we ought to aspire to these character traits so that we would live holy lives that bring glory and honor to the Lord.
third and final application, uh, we ought to realize the significance of biblically qualified elders and deacons. Elders lead the flock, devote themselves to the word and prayer, and provide shepherding care for the flock. And deacons are exemplary servants within the body of Christ that seek to meet tangible physical needs within the body in a way that promotes unity within the body. We need these two offices to be filled with faithful members of the church so that the church can be faithful to continue to fulfill its mission of making disciples of all nations for the glory of God. I praise God that he has gifted New Branch with many qualified elders and deacons to serve the body here. Please join me in praying that the Lord would raise up more. That even if in uh, this cycle of receiving uh, elder and deacon recommendations, we don't, maybe we don't have anybody, but, but I, join me in praying that the Lord would continue to grow and mature the members here at New Branch so that one day we would have uh, many qualified elders and deacons here in the body. And perhaps there is somebody who does meet these qualifications now. Prayerfully consider uh, going to talk to that person and see if they might be willing to, uh, to be recommended to the elders to serve in one of these offices. Elders and deacons are, are vital to the health of the church. They help the church to function properly and to grow and build itself up. They help the church to preserve and pass on the biblical gospel. And they help the, chair, the church to, to, to share the gospel in our community and all the way to the ends of the earth. And so that many would turn from their sin, place faith in Jesus, and live for the glory of God. So elders and deacons, uh, our biblically qualified elders and deacons, are in fact uh, helpful and essential to the church to be able to fulfill its mission. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for uh, the mystery of the faith, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the Lord Jesus who condescended to come and live among mankind the mankind that rebelled and rejected him because of our sinfulness. And yet in your love, you came and you pursued us, you dwelt among us, and you lived a sinless life, and you died in our place on the cross, shedding your own blood. God, we thank you for that. We thank you that you humbly served us, giving us your righteousness and taking on our sin. God, if there are or any, if there's anyone in this room who does not know you by faith, oh God, would you help them to see their desperate need of salvation, that they are dead, and that the only way they can be made alive is by your grace. God, would you give them faith to believe in Jesus and to turn from their sin? Lord, we thank you for your church. We thank you for uh, elders and deacons. Thank you for the many that uh, serve in this role currently. Lord, these are precious gifts from you to help your body to function. We are so grateful for that. Lord, we pray that you might raise up more among this body, that you might move in the hearts of those in this room and and our covenant members to consider serving uh, in this way so that your church could continue to function properly and that we might be faithful uh, to you, Lord. Lord, we pray that you'd help us as a body to faithfully preserve the biblical gospel 
and also to continue to pass it on, to live on mission in our local community all the way to the ends of the earth. And we pray that you do that for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.